Hello, and welcome to Words on Film, the spoken word podcast dedicated to moving pictures. I'm Dan Burke, your host and movie critic, and I'm here to tell you exactly what I think of some of the latest movies out right now. For this show, I have three brand new movies to review for you. I was going to do a little bit of catch-up getting into movies that came out weeks or even months ago, but I didn't quite have time to do that. But fortunately, I was able to see the bare minimum of movies that I forced myself to see every week for your listening pleasure. And fortunately, all three of them were brand new this week, coming out on October 21st, 2022. The first movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Black Adam. This is the latest entry into the DC Extended Universe. Specifically, it is the 11th film in the DC Extended Universe, and it is a spinoff from the 2019 film Shazam, which I think is one of the best DC Extended Universe movies to come out just yet. And it seems that Black Adam is hinting towards a crossover with Shazam, considering that Black Adam and Shazam are all part of the same mythos. Not quite the same, still the same extended universe as Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and all the other members of the Justice League, but it looks like Black Adam and Shazam are going to be tying in first. But is Black Adam worth a sequel? Well, I'm about to tell you right now. So Black Adam tells the story about an anti-hero, not particularly a superhero, whose real name is Teth Adam, and in adult form he is played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. We're first introduced to him in 2600 BCE in the fictional country of Kandak. And even though Kandak is fictional, there actually is a city in Iraq that's called Kandak, But in the DC Extended Universe, it's a fictional country located in the Middle East between Egypt and the land that is fought over by Palestine and Israel on the northern part of the Sinai Peninsula. And when we're first introduced to Teth Adam, who later becomes Black Adam, he's a child and he's actually a slave boy under the tyrannical king Ankat. And Ankat creates a crown... That's called the Crown of Sabak, known to give the wearer great power. And after attempting to stage a revolt, Teth Adam is at first executed, but he dodges execution and is given the power of Shazam, transforming him into Kondok's heroic champion, who we know as throughout most of the film as Teth Adam. But eventually, he is actually brought back underground for reasons that aren't particularly well explained. In fact, my my biggest gripe with this movie is that the very first part of the uh, the film where they're introducing Teth Adam and the mythos behind his character is, first of all, put together in about 10 minutes. And secondly, it's only spoken through narrative exposition, and it's not shown particularly well. In fact, I actually found this part of the film so fascinating, it could have been a separate movie, and Dwayne Johnson didn't even necessarily be in it, although having him in a movie certainly helps. But when we're brought to uh, Kondok in present day, we're told through this narrative exposition that it is oppressed by the Intergang. What the Intergang wants, I don't exactly know, but we are introduced by to an archaeologist by the name of Adriana Tomas, who's played by Sarah Shahi, who is looking for the crown of Sabak herself with the help of her brother Kareem and colleagues Samir and Ishmael Gregor. And eventually they do find the crown, but they're ambushed by the intergang. Meanwhile, there's the public government official Amanda Waller, who's played by... Viola Davis, who is reprising her role from several other DC Extended Universe movies, although Viola Davis is um, phoning this one in. You mainly see her through um, video intercom, but but she doesn't actually make an appearance uh, in this movie otherwise. But she is recruiting the Justice Society of America, which consists of lesser-known superheroes than 
Batman, Superman, and the, uh, the other members of the Justice League. They include Hawkman, whose real name is Carter Hall, and he's played by Aldous Hodge. It also includes Dr. Fate, whose real name is Kenton Nelson, and he's played by Pierce Brosnan. You also have Cyclone, whose real name is Maxine Hunter, and she's played by Contessa Swindell. And finally, you have Albert Rothstein, also known as Adam Smasher, who's played by Noah Centineo. And it's pretty obvious what these superheroes can do. Hawkman can fly um, and also has a very ornate um, shield. Dr. Fate can read minds and also clone himself. Adam Smasher, like Ant-Man, can grow to up to 100 times his size. And Cyclone can create whirlwinds. So some of the similarities between these characters and the X-Men are pretty obvious. But I give DC the benefit of the doubt because they do make very interesting characters. And even though comparisons can be made between these superheroes and X-Men, the Justice Society of America, I thought, made better characters than the Justice League. So, And I especially liked um, Aldous, Ho- Aldous Hodge and Pierce Brosnan in their respective characters as well. But eventually, the, the Justice Society of America, th- by way of Amanda Waller, are assigned to take Teth Adam into custody because he comes back to life and begins to execute members of the intergang. So in the country of Kondok, the citizens see him as a hero, but the Justice Society of America see him as not a villain, but somebody who needs to be taken into custody and also reduced in his superpowers. So once Black Adam, Dwayne Johnson... Uh, appeared. He played it very straight, but was very funny in his deadpan kind of way. And he also had surprisingly good chemistry with Adriana Tomas's son, Amon Tomas, who's played by Bodhi Sambogi. And he, Bodhi Sambogi, um, also narrated the first part of the film. And it's not so much as narration as in his execution of the narration with which I had a problem. It was just the fact that Teth Adams' background was A, rushed, and B, told rather than shown. And I, and I said before that his background story could make a, a pretty good movie in and of itself, and having Dwayne Johnson in that role certainly helps, but I felt like that was a little rushed, and that was probably one of the biggest problems with the movies of the DC Extended Universe so far. They seem to rush through what could be the best parts of the exposition that that would be best if they were shown rather than told. And that was my biggest problem with Batman versus Superman in addition to that. But Black Adam has a lot fewer problems than Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and for that matter, the Justice League movie does. I thought the characters were a lot better developed, not just the ones with superpowers, but also the ones without, including the people who were interested in this movie in archaeology and it had a bit of um, an educational vibe to it even though the city of Kandak or rather the country of Kandak is fictional but I do think that while the characters were for the most part pretty well developed I thought that Kandak itself could have been more developed as well and as as I said before the rushed exposition in the beginning of the movie didn't make Kondok nearly as interesting as Wakanda in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that that's actually to this movie's detriment because once the movie Black Panther Wakanda Forever comes out in about a month, it's going to blow Black Adam right off the map. However... I think that Black Adam does have some promise, especially given an end credits scene, which also features Dwayne Johnson, Viola Davis, and another prominent member of the DC Extended Universe. I'm not going to give that away, but stay after the credits for this movie because it does drum up some excitement for a future film. But Black Adam, for me, gets my rating of a checkout. I think it's a lot better than... 
many of the DC Extended Universe movies that have come out so far, the only movies that it doesn't top in terms of quality are the first Wonder Woman movie and Shazam. But still, I think it's better than all the rest of the films. And I think that Dwayne Johnson himself, with his presence and also his his action scenes in this film, certainly gives himself a boost above all the other relatively mediocre DC Extended Universe movies that have come out so far. But... I do think that Black Adam does give some promise to the extension of the DC Extended Universe, which I said back when the Justice League movie came out, it might as well just give up right now, but it looks like it still has some juice in it, and that's saying a lot considering that some of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that have come out so far this year have fallen short of greatness, but still, the DC Extended Universe has a lot to catch up to, even amidst the Marvel Cinematic Universe's most recent flops. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Ticket to Paradise. This is a romantic comedy about a divorced couple who has been divorced for quite some time and share custody of a college-age daughter by the name of Lily, and she's played by Caitlin Dever. And the father is named David. He's a successful architect in Chicago who's played by George Clooney. And he was previously married to Georgia, who is a Los Angeles-based art curator who's played by Julia Roberts. And the two of them are constantly bickering with one another when they are in the same room together. And they find that they are reluctantly seated alongside one another when Lily is graduating from college. And Lily, along with her best friend, Kimberly, who's played by Ariel Carver O'Neill, there, I got that right, are uh, not only graduating from college, but they're also taking a post-graduation trip to Bali. And Lily eventually meets um, a very charismatic seaweed farmer, and yes, that actually is an occupation, whose name is Guide, who's played by Maxime Bautier. And they meet, they have a liaison, and then eventually Lily is engaged to Guide, at which point David and Georgia fly to Bali to try to prevent the marriage from happening. And because... David is George Clooney, and because Georgia is Julia Roberts, and because they've been in four movies previously where, well, three of which they were married, and you know they're sort of America's older sweethearts, you know they're eventually going to put their bickering aside and eventually fall in love again. That's not too much of a spoiler. That's probably one of the more predictable parts of this film, but... George Clooney and Julia Roberts have good chemistry together when they're ultimately rekindling their romantic relationship that ended about 15 years prior. But the bickering scenes between the two, I didn't think were all that uh, convincing because you know how the movie's going to go. I'm not sure if that's exactly um, supposed to be the selling part of the the point of the movie or if you just see the two of them together on a poster and you know that the bickering is eventually going to end but there are some contrived ways in which they do get together in scenes where they can't stand each other and there are also some moments that are predictable as well like there's one scene where they play the equivalent of beer pong and they ultimately get drunk and you know sort of that something cataclysmic is going to happen between the two of them, sort of first world problems after they have this drunken night out. There are also some cringeworthy scenes where they're dancing to old school hip hop songs like bust a move and, um, house of pains jump around in addition to other songs. So there were some parts of this movie where I did get a bit of a chuckle 
And most of the laughs actually came from people who weren't main characters. Like, for example, a woman who they meet on a plane when they're flying first class to Bali and they can't stand sitting next to one another. So the woman comes literally in between them. I thought she had some good scene stealing lines, but other than that, I just didn't really get into this movie, but I suppose it could have been worse. There were moments at which I chuckled, but overall, I think the story arc between George Clooney and Julia Roberts characters were relatively predictable. I actually did think the romance between Lily and Jeed, uh, Caitlin Dever and Maxine Boutier's characters were actually less predictable. And that was probably the saving grace of this otherwise very polished romantic comedy, which is why I give ticket to paradise. My rating of a checkout. I don't think it's anything particularly special and I would have expected better from George Clooney after having been, have having not been in a new movie in about two years, but I think George Clooney is on his way to making a cinematic comeback. I just don't think this is probably more of a safe movie for him and Julia Roberts, but I think there are probably better films in their future if they try a little bit harder. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. The next movie I'm going to be reviewing for you is Descendant, which premiered on Netflix. It is a Netflix original on October 21st, 2022, and is the latest documentary from Barack and Michelle Obama's Higher Ground Productions, which has had an amazing track record for releasing great documentaries over the last couple of years. And Barack and Michelle Obama, to their credit, take a back seat uh, in this uh, documentary and basically let the filmmakers as well as the film subjects tell the story. And it is a good thing they do because this movie is a very moving film, which is about descendants of the survivors from the Clotilda, which was the last ship, as far as we know, that carried enslaved Africans to the United States. And the Clotilda docked on the shores of Alabama in 1860. And the captain of that ship, as this movie declare or as this movie details, uh, was actually facing punishment if he was caught transporting slaves to the new world, because even though slavery became outlawed in the United States in 1865, the slave trade, the practice of taking a, a ship to Africa, packing as many slaves in it as you could, and then bringing them back to America was actually abolished in 1808. And anybody who was caught transporting slaves to America was subject to be punished by death. So the captain of this ship was actually not punished by death. And the reason that he wasn't was because right after he docked the Clotilda in Alabama and transported all of the living slaves from Africa off the ship, he destroyed the Clotilda. And ultimately, the the story of the descendants of the slaves from the ship of Clotilda have been passing down this the story about the Clotilda from generation to generation. They're actually before, while this movie was being filmed, there was no record of the story of the Clotilda in existence. It was not written down, but rather it was spread through word of mouth and it eventually prompted some scuba diving enthusiasts as well as archaeologists and members of national geographic to actually protrude the waters 
of the Alabama shore and find the remnants of the Clotilda. And while they didn't find very much, they did actually find enough to a confirm that the Clotilda had been destroyed in a fire, um, intentionally, presumably, and B, they also had enough evidence to make a sketch or ultimately a painting of what the Clotilda probably looked like. And this brought about, um, by the way, this, this movie takes place in Plateau, Alabama, and we're given an introduction to many of the people who live in this uh, town, uh, which has since changed its name to Africa town and also their very rich uh, account of their lineage, which is quite impressive, especially considering that many slaves who, who were brought to this country, who were forced into this country from Africa, primarily from Africa, had their lineage basically destroyed. And many of them didn't even have birth certificates because they were only seen as property. So for this movie to delve into the history of these slaves, in addition to also um, delving into some very uh, surprising history of uh, Zora Neale Hurston's connection to this ship, the Clotilda, not from not just from her writing, but also from her movie footage, because this is something that w- I was not aware of. I am aware of Zora Neale Hurston. I've read a few of her books and, and short stories, including uh, Their Eyes Were Watching God. But there was a, a story that Zora Neale Hurston wrote, which was called Barracoon, which was posthumously published in 2018. And it's it's not so much a novel as much as it is a true story about Cujo Lewis, who came on the Clotilda and lived until the year 1935. And the movie actually shows film footage that her, uh, Zora Neale Hurston herself filmed in 1928. And it, it doesn't have uh, sound because only the wealthy filmmakers uh, were able to incorporate sound into their documentaries, but it's still fascinating to, to see Zora Neale Hurston's film footage because I, as I said, had no idea she made movies, let alone documentaries. But this documentary descendant actually makes me want to read Barracoon right now. And it may, if you should watch this film, and I highly recommend it, it's probably going to make you want to look into your own lineage and I absolutely don't blame you. This film actually was screened originally at the Sundance Film Festival and it won an award for creative vision. And it is directed by uh, Margaret Brown. And Margaret Brown is actually uh, white. And the reason I I find this interesting, although I, I don't have anything against it, is because Many of the people who are interviewed in this documentary are black, and this is about black lineage, but doesn't take away from how excellent a documentary this is. And the director, Margaret Brown, has directed several other documentaries, which I haven't seen, like Be Here to Love Me uh, from 2004 and The Order of Myths from 2008. And this may be the documentary that puts her on the map. She's been nominated for one primetime Emmy for directing the documentary miniseries The Great Invisible, but I would imagine that this film, Descendants, would be nominated for an Academy Award. And it not only has Barack and Michelle Obama's Higher Grounds production behind it, but among the executive producers of this documentary are Questlove and Black Thought. Not only did um, are those two members of the Tonight Show band The Roots, but Questlove, Amir Questlove Thompson, is now an Academy Award winning filmmaker, having won the Academy Award for Best Documentary uh, 
earlier this year and a very deserved win that was, but descendant is very moving. It has a lot of stories to tell and it will probably incentivize anybody who watches it to look into their lineage and keep that alive. After all, it does make a powerful argument for the role of history as well as knowing your heritage Ah, and you know what I'm, I'm trying to say here, but Descendant is an absolute knockout. It is a very powerful documentary and one that is probably something that's more interesting than you would read in a history textbook. And it tells you a bit of history that many people uh, don't know, especially Americans. And this, I, I hope the people who watch this documentary will become more um, interested in history and particularly American history and also showing that we as Americans have a lot to answer for for our past. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I am your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've reviewed all the movies I have to review for you for this show, it's now time for me to get into my final segment, or the first part of my final segment, which is what's coming up next. This is a spoken word preview of movies that are subject to being released in theaters and or on streaming for the week of October 24th through 28th, 2022 the week right before Halloween. And the biggest movie that is subject to being released in theaters this week, but it's probably making room for Black Adam, and ultimately it's probably going to, and Black Adam is probably going to be number one at the box office for the second week in a row. But the movie that's coming out, the biggest movie that's subject to be released in theaters on October 28th, 2022, is a movie that's called Pray for the Devil. And Pray is spelled P-R-E-Y, as in the opposite of Predator. And it's a movie about a nun who prepares to perform an exorcism and comes face-to-face with a demonic force with mysterious ties to her past. The movie is directed by Daniel Stamm and stars Jacqueline Byers as the nun who performs an exorcism. It also co-stars Virginia Madsen, whom we haven't seen in a while, Colin Salmon and Nicholas Ralph, amongst other people. The poster for this film looks pretty damn scary. I don't know if the movie itself is scary, but it's a movie that I probably will see, and I'll let you know what I think if I see it on next week's show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on October 28th is a movie that's called Call Jane. This is a movie that is a historical drama about a married woman with an unwanted pregnancy who lives in a time in America where she can't get a legal abortion and works with a group of suburban women to find help. This movie is very timely, uh, certainly by subject matter, and the movie stars Elizabeth Banks, Zagorny Weaver, Chris Messina, Wunmi Moksaka, and Kate Mara, amongst other people. So very good cast right there. Certainly a very timely subject, especially given the renewed controversy regarding the Supreme Court and their stance on Roe v. Wade, which they, as you know, since you've been paying attention to the news, they ambushed their decision on Roe v. Wade from literally 50 years earlier, or rather 49 years earlier. So... Call Jane is a movie that will likely be released in theaters nationwide. This is a movie I will attempt to see, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. 
Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on October 28th is a movie that's called The Lair. And The Lair is a movie about a Royal Air Force pilot by the name of Lieutenant Kate Sinclair, who is played by Charlotte Kirk, who is shot down over Afghanistan. And she finds refuge in an abandoned underground bunker where deadly man-made biological weapons, half human, half alien, are awakened. So I don't know if this movie takes place during the Afghanistan war or after it, since the war is officially over, or at least America's involvement in the war is, but it looks pretty interesting. And as I said, Charlotte Kirk plays the role of Lieutenant Kate Sinclair, and she actually co-wrote the screenplay too. The movie also stars Jonathan Howard, Jamie Bamber, and Kibong Tanji, amongst other people. But other than that, not too many names that I recognize, but... It sounds like a thrilling film. It might not be a historically accurate one, considering it's about weapons of mass destruction that aren't atomic, but rather uh, alien-like. I don't know. But um, The Lair is a movie I may see. If I do, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Another movie that is subject to being released in theaters on October 28, 2022, is a movie that's called The Ambush. And this is a movie that is a an action drama that is also about war and it's about three Emirati soldiers who are ambushed in hostile territory and their commander leads a daring mission to rescue them. The movie is foreign. It's directed by Pierre Morel, who is a a French director and the stars of this movie are nobody with whom I'm particularly familiar, but they include Omar, excuse me, Omar bin Hadir, Marwan Abdullah, Muhammad Ahmed, and Mansoor Alfile. So this is a movie that is likely to be released in independent theaters, maybe on October 28th, maybe later than that, but it sounds very interesting, but I don't know if I'm going to see it. If I do, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. And as we descend more into the foreign films, There's another film that is coming out that's called My Special Boy, which may or may not be a foreign film, uh, but it is about, um, actually, it's tied directly to Friday the 13th. So here's the description. There is no denying that Camp Crystal Lake has a dark history, one that Sean Orton is is intent on ignoring. Despite being warned against returning to his childhood camp, Sean's desire to save his family name proves to be even stronger. So there's actually more. This is a very lengthy description, but I'll read it for uh, I'll read it all to you because this is quite interesting. And I'll stop if it becomes a spoiler. But anyway, Sean rechristens the grounds at Camp Trinity Point, and with a group of friends, he attempts to rebuild it into a safe haven with no traces of tragedy left behind. Good luck doing that. But the evil that still lingers on the campgrounds is a stark reminder that history always repeats itself and revenge is a dish best served cold. I think when it comes to Camp Crystal Lake and the legend of Jason Vuries, who I bet is the uh, entity in this film, I don't think he serves his revenge cold, given what he's done in several uh, sequels and remakes, not to mention the original Friday the 13th movie. Yeah, cold, it's not. But yeah, this movie is a different take on the Friday the 13th films. And it actually does kind of surprise me that the movie is so low-key. And I would imagine that it's also kind of strange that this movie would be released so soon before Halloween. But it does have a great title, My Special Boy, So I don't know if I'm going to see this movie. I don't know if it's going to be released near me. I hope it does. But if I see it, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. And the final film that is subject to being released in theaters on October 28th, 2022, is a movie that's called Chia Koa Tromtai. Don't ask me what that means in English. I don't know. 
It's a movie about a notorious assassin who loses his memory and his fortune at the local bathhouse who sets into motion a wacky new life chock full of surprises. This is actually not just a kung fu movie. It's also an action comedy directed by Votan Hoa, who is, as far as I know, I, I don't know his nationality, but I presume he is Chinese, maybe Korean. I don't exactly know. It's unlikely this film will be released in a theater near me, but it may be released on streaming. I don't exactly know, but I'm all for action comedies. And we'll see if this comes to a theater or streaming service near me. If it does, I'll try to watch it, and I may let you know what I think on next week's show, but there's no guarantee. Welcome back to Words on Film, the spoken word show dedicated to moving pictures. I'm your host and movie critic, Dan Burke. And now that I've given you all the movies that are subject to being released in theaters on October 28th, it's now time for me to get into as many movies as I can fit into this segment that are subject to being released not in theaters but on streaming for the week of October 24th through October 28th, 2022. And we're going to start with Netflix because they churn out the most original films. They also churn out a a fair number of series as well, so many that it is impossible for me as a critic to watch all of them, but I try to watch as many movies as I can. And the biggest movie that is subject to being released on Netflix on Monday, October 24th, is a movie that's called The Chalk Line, which is also known as Jaula. And this is a movie about a couple who temporarily adopts a young girl they found wandering around alone in the high road. The movie, even though it sounds like a drama, is actually a horror mystery thriller that sounds very much like The Omen. But this movie is, I presume, a Spanish production, as in one that was uh, made in Spain. Because the principal actors in this movie include Elena Anaya, Pablo Molinero and Eva Tenier, all of whom are from Spain. And the director of this movie is Ignacio Tate. So maybe the movie is called Haula rather than Jaula, but the English name is The Chalk Line. It sounds very dark and very um, mysterious. Is it a movie that I'll see for you next week? I can't guarantee it, but I'll keep my eye out for it. There are also, on Tuesday, October 25th, there's actually a series that's coming out that is made by Guillermo del Toro, and it's called Cabinet of Curiosities. I'm not going to see it, but it premieres on Tuesday, October 25th. But there is a movie that's coming out that I guarantee you I will not see. It is a Netflix original, but the reason I'm not going to see it is because it's called Barbie's Epic Road Trip. And you can, or Barbie epic road trip, uh, epic road trip, I should say. And I can already tell that this movie is, well, it's actually a short, first of all. And while shorts are actually fair game on the show, it's a animated Barbie film. So I'm going to skip it because yeah, it's just not my thing. Another movie that's actually going to be appearing on Netflix on Tuesday, October 25th, but is not a Netflix original is a movie that's called Blade of the 47 Ronin. And I don't know very much about this film. All I can tell you that it is a Kung Fu film. Well, Kung Fu is inaccurate because it's Japanese, but it's about ancient Japanese Ronin warriors. And it's set 300 years ago after 47 Ronin in a modern day world. Excuse me. It's set 300 years after 47 Ronin in a modern day world where samurai clans exist in complete secrecy. The movie is directed by Ron Wan and stars Anna Akana, Teresa Ting, and Mike Moe, amongst other people. 
So I don't know if I'm going to see this film, but it is actually a brand new film. It's a 2022 film that Netflix is not counting as an original film for some reason. What that reason is, I don't exactly know, but not necessarily all new films that premiere on Netflix are Netflix originals. But on Wednesday, October 26th, there are four original movies that are going to be premiering. And not all of them are American. There's actually only one movie that is American. And for the sake of time, I'm going to tell you what that movie is. The movie is called The Good Nurse. And the movie stars Jessica Chastain, recent Academy Award winner, and previous Academy Award winner, Eddie Renmain. And it is about an infamous caregiver who is implicated in the death of hundreds of hospital patients. So this is, as you might imagine, a drama, but it is based on a true story. And Jessica Chastain plays Amy Lauren, and Eddie Redmayne plays Charlie Cullen. I'm not sure which one of these characters is the nurse. You would presume, I, I mean, the assumption would be that Jessica Chastain is, but in this day and age, men are nurses too, so it could be Eddie Redmayne, I don't know. But with this killer acting roster, just these two actors alone, it looks like a very powerful film and one I will likely see and review for you on next week's show. On two, uh, excuse me, on Thursday, October 27th, there are two Netflix original films that are going to be premiering. The first one is a documentary that is called Earthstorm. And considering that I saw a great Netflix documentary this week in Descendant, Earthstorm might actually be a good documentary as well. It looks like it is not only a documentary, but a limited series as well. But this is a movie about storm chasers, survivors, and first responders who recount their harrowing experiences with volcanoes, tornadoes, hurricanes, and earthquakes. Sounds very chilling. And it looks like these people who are in this movie or who are interviewed for it, live a very exciting life and career. But I don't know if I'm actually going to see this limited series because it is actually, there's going to be one episode that's premiering on October 27th. The website I was looking at for reference tells me that this is a movie, but I I suppose it would be, but it looks like it's a a series as well. But limited series are not... um, I don't exclude limited series. They're fair game. If I have time to see it, I will, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. The other original film that's coming out on Netflix that is a Netflix original is a movie that's called Cece. And this is a film that is also a foreign film. And it looks like it is from the nation of Turkey. And this is a movie about a family who migrates to the city after a tragic loss. When they reunite in their hometown 30 years later, buried emotions and painful secrets resurface. The movie has several actors of whom I am not familiar. I'll read their names, though. Fatid Artmand, Seval Balkan, and Aisai Bingle. I hope I pronounced those names right. Chances are I didn't. But sounds like a very powerful drama. Is it one that I'll see for you on next week's show? I can't guarantee it, but I'll look out for it, and I'll certainly consider it. And there are also a couple of other movies that are premiering on Netflix on Friday, October 28th as Netflix originals. There are three of them, actually. Two of them are foreign films. Uh, The first one is actually All Quiet on the Western Front, which is a German film as... All Quiet on the Western Front was a German novel. It was previously made into a movie, which I haven't seen, and I've read parts of the book. All Quiet on the Western Front is a fictional book, but is considered one of the best anti-war novels ever written. And it is about a young German soldier's terrifying experiences and distress on the Western Front during World War I, which was known back then as the Great War because people did not foresee World War II in the future, about 25 years afterwards. But the movie stars Daniel Bruhl, who is an excellent German actor who's been in many American productions as well. And actually, I saw Daniel Bruhl in a great movie about the Western Front, which was uh, Joyeux Noel, which means Merry Christmas in French. 
And that is a 2005 film, which was a box office flop when it first came out in theaters back in uh, 2004. And it was a flop all over the world, not just in America. But it had some great performances by the likes of Daniel Bruhl, Diane Kruger, and others. And it's it's a very moving film that is based on a true story that actually took place on Christmas Day in 1914 between the British, French, and Scottish soldiers. Daniel Bruhl was in that movie, so it's great to see him in another movie that is undoubtedly a World War I epic. The other stars of this movie include Albrecht Schusch, Sebastian Hulk, and Eden Hasanovic, amongst other people, uh, many of whom I don't know. I do know Daniel Bruhl, but All Quiet on the Western Front is a movie that I will likely see. Can't guarantee it, but if I do, I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Another Netflix original that is premiering on October 28th is a movie that's called Wendell and Wild, and it looks like... Um, Netflix is coming out with a lot of films that could potentially be Oscar contenders. Wendell and Wild is actually a movie that is animated and it is directed by Henry Selleck. And Henry Selleck is an amazing animation director. To give you an idea, Henry Selleck was the one who directed The Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes, Henry Selleck directed The Nightmare Before Christmas, not Tim Burton. But he went on to direct... James and the Giant Peach, and Coraline. And this is his first feature-length film that he has directed in 13 years, ever since Coraline. And Coraline is an amazing animated film, but it is also really creepy. And Wendell and Wilde looks like it could be creepy as well, especially considering that Jordan Peele is producing this film as well. So Wendell and Wilde is about... Two scheming demon brothers of those names who enlist the aid of 13-year-old Cat Elliot to summon them to the land of the living. And if you see this animation, it is quite chilling. But the cast of this film include Lyric Ross and the voices of uh, Wendell and Wilde are respectively Keegan-Michael Key and Jordan Peele. So Key and Peele are reuniting for the first time since their movie Keanu. And I don't know if this movie is going to be creepy or if it's going to be funny, but it looks very interesting. And other uh, cast members in this film include such notable actors as Angela Bassett, James Hong, and Ving Rhames. A lot of names who have been acting in films for a very long time. And Ving Rhames is no stranger to voice acting. He actually was the voice of Agent Bubbles in the Disney film... Lilo and Stitch and this is a movie I definitely will see and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show but as for Netflix originals that is oh there's actually one more the movie is called Wild in the Wind and this is also a um a a foreign film uh sorry I got a little distracted there I don't know from what country it is but it's a movie about Racial tensions and racial tensions and corruption that comes to a head in the small segregated town uh, after the police find the body of a young Afrikaner girl in the bush. So I think I presume that the movie takes place in South Africa, but I don't exactly know. It's directed by Fabian Medea, and this is actually. Not only his feature film directorial debut, it is his debut as a filmmaker, period. He not only never directed a film before this, he also never wrote a film before this, according to IMDb. But I don't know from what country he he uh, resides, but my guess is that this is South Africa because Mothusi Magano is a South African actor who stars in this movie, along with Frank Rodenbach, Chris Chameleon, and Mona Monyane, amongst other people. This movie looks very heavy, but again, there are so many new movies that are coming out and so little time to see them, so... I'd like to tell you that I will be reviewing this uh, movie for you on next week's show, but I can't guarantee it. But on Apple TV, uh, 
a service to which I don't subscribe, there is a documentary that is going to be premiering, which is called Louis Armstrong's Black and Blues. I have loved Louis Armstrong since I was a kid. I still love his music. He is definitely immortal and certainly a legendary figure in New Orleans. As a matter of fact, they named the International Airport after Louis Armstrong. But I don't know very much about this Louis Armstrong documentary, but I'd love to see it. Unfortunately, I can't because I don't have Apple TV. On Disney+, Plus, there are actually a few films that are coming out that are not um, Disney Plus originals, but they're coming out on Friday, October 28th. One is Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeakquel, which was made back in 2010. And I haven't seen it, but... I've heard enough about it. I'm probably not going to see it. I'm definitely not going to review it for you on next week's show. The other movie that is subject to being released on Disney Plus on Friday, October 28th, is Marvel's Hulk, where monsters dwell. My guess is that this film is a short because it's definitely not going to be one of the MCU movies or TV shows. It is, oh, it's actually not a short, but it is animated. It's one hour, 15 minutes long. And it's about, it actually not only stars the Hulk, it also stars Doctor Strange and a team of monsters who must help the Hulk overcome his dream self in order to defeat Nightmare on Halloween night. So this movie actually came out, it was a direct-to-video release uh, back in 2016. So because the movie is older than... Most movies that I review for you on the show, I'm not going to see it. But if you're interested, it's premiering on Disney Plus on October 28th. On HBO Max, the only film that is going to be premiering the week of October 24th through October 28th that is an HBO original is a documentary that's called A Tree of Life, The Pittsburgh Synagogue Shooting, which is a very timely documentary and one that certainly has a very hot topic behind it. So this movie, as I said, it's a documentary. It's an HBO Max original. It details the shooting that occurred on Saturday, October 27th, 2018, at the Tree of Life Synagogue, where a white supremacist, further radicalized by the political climate at the time in which we're still living, walked into the Tree of Life synagogue with four semi-automatic assault weapons, shouting, all Jews must die. And he murdered 11 congregants, ranging in age from 54 to 97 as they prayed. That's just shameful. But the Tree of Life documentary is one that seems like a must-see. I can't guarantee that I'm going to See it, but I'll try my best, and I'll let you know what I think on next week's show. Well, that's all the time I have for this episode of Words on Film. I always love talking about movies, and I hope you liked what you heard. If you did, please subscribe and rate the show and leave comments if you can. I would love to get your feedback, even if it's more criticism than praise. This has been Words on Film. I'm Dan Burke, and until my next episode, I'll see you at the movies.